Hi, and welcome to Genre Breaker. I'm Hayden Pickens, and I'm back with writer and editor Audrey Bauman to talk about young adult fiction. Hey, everybody. Hey, Audrey. So let's just sort of dive right in. We already sort of worked out the rules and stuff last time, so... Or the... Conventions? The main objectives. So let's sort of uh, talk about young adult fiction so uh sort of what does young adult fiction mean to you to me yes well you're the person who studied it that's true i did study i took a class on the young adult novel specifically and really um what we decided in that class was that non um, excuse me young adult fiction young adult fiction like the term literature is kind of an umbrella because within young adult fiction they're all the genres that you would typically see represented, represented at your bookstore. Um, you know, science fiction, romance, fantasy. There are young adult westerns even, which is kind of crazy to me. But, um, I mean, there's like lots of subgenres within the young adult umbrella. And really the common denominator is their books written with young adults as protagonists for a young adult audience. And young adult, like... What the term young adult means is also something you can talk about, but I think people usually agree like 14 to 18-ish, maybe 19. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Um, I have noticed that there are uh, lots of lots of adults, mm -hmm. like young adult fiction. Also, I don't know if you've heard this kind of joke, but sort of um, running parallel to literary writing is just writing that uh critics think is really good young adult novels are really just books that people read <laughs> is sort of the the joke i've heard on that oh yeah i i think that's a little more broad than what actually shakes out but it is kind of i think one of the more popular things out there and um Obviously, uh, I've had a lot of history reading young adult stories growing up. Yeah. I mean, um, young adult stories are what drew me to writing those powerfully, and I think that's true for many, 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 many people, especially in our age bracket, um, because I think it is true that, like, young adult is one of the best sellers, like, the best selling genres, you know, period. I mean, um, people were worried and are still worried that children aren't reading as much. But young adult sales, I think if you look at those numbers, they're very encouraging. And I know that mm -hmm. people say that it's very hard um, to live professionally as a writer and do nothing else. Like, writing is your only job. That's the dream for a lot of us, but it's very, very hard to do. But most of the writers I've seen that do that write for young adults because it is such a flourishing genre, um, you know, and plenty of uh, houses want to buy those manuscripts, so... If you're looking to make money, I guess, if you're a listener and you really want to make money, you won't, but you probably you have a better chance in young adult <laughs> than in other genres, I would say. Yeah, I mean, we we all know the uh, the huge success stories. Uh, Harry Potter is the one uh, that immediately jumps to oh, mind yes. as um, what uh, J.K. Rowling, did she hit billionaire briefly from her sales from the... Was she still not a billionaire? I thought she was always a billionaire. I feel like I heard, and this may be hearsay or misremembered, 
but I feel like I heard that she became a billionaire at one point and then gave away enough of her money that she was no longer a billionaire. That sounds... Yeah, I can buy that. I think that's probably right. I just, um, I mean, obviously she is very rich. I mean, those books have done very, very well. And the cool thing, which, oh gosh, I'm about to say something unsubstantiated, but I think it's true that you can't buy her ebooks or audiobooks. Like, there's, like, special content that you can really buy specifically through her. So, like, she cut out, like, Amazon or Barnes & Noble's The Middleman, and that's how she can make even more money. That's a really smart business decision for all you people who are interested in that. That's a good business decision when you have sort of, like, the name weight mm. and the fan base to pull it off. Right. Most people do not. That's very true. I mean, there's a reason that, um, I mean, to get your books in Barnes & Noble is an achievement, I would say. And I would definitely love for that to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. It's not, it's certainly not easy. But, yeah, there's uh, things like Harry Potter, uh... The Hunger Games, uh, Twilight even, <laughs> which which I bring up to sort of segue into into like a few points that I've had about this that I think young adult is a very like catch all genre. There's obviously like fantastical stuff like Harry Potter, and then then Twilight being an attempt at sort of a modern mythological horror story but also romance but also i use i use the word attempt mm. because it's not necessarily the strongest word right but you also can't discount something that was a bestseller yeah it did have a and very went on to have four movies right. made of it I mean, it was a massive um thing and i will admit that when i was in middle school I was super, super into Twilight, and I kind of cringe to think about it now, but it was a big deal. It still is kind of a big deal, although um, I think its impact has lessened with time. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of not great writing and sort of problematic elements in how it addresses relationships yeah. in the text that a lot of people have gone into a lot more than I care to in this one episode. But I think noting that it became super successful despite that is sort of a testament to the genre as a whole. And also, like, how you can just get your your book sort of out there if you market it well. Right. And it is true that, like, um, stuff like Twilight, I mean, I think that part of the reason that, like, Twilight became so huge in Harry Potter and The Hunger Games um, at least two yeah. of the three are very well written, and two of the three really deserve like all the <laughs> all the attention that they've received, in my opinion. And maybe Twilight does deserve some attention because well, I mean it was an attempt. It was a pretty um, ballsy attempt, and you can give it that. Like really, I think that this might be an overgeneralization or you know whatever, but I think that young people really go all out for the stuff that they like in a way that maybe adults just don't have time for or energy for because really um working sucks the life out of you <laughs> basically <laughs> we live in capitalist hell but um for sure i mean i think that um some of the really big franchises and um you know book series and that become movie series or tv series later are young adults because young adults give those titles a lot of attention and a lot of hype and then that's how studios notice you know these stories and 
hopefully they pick them up because they're good stories, but they also probably pick them up because they know they're sure money makers. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. This is going to be a depressingly business-focused episode. I can feel it already, <laughs> but I think there's a lot to be said about young adult fiction being so prolific just because of how large a generation the millennials are. Mm-hmm. And I know young adult and then romance. Romance is, I think, the top-selling genre. I think, yeah. But it also flies well under the radar compared to a lot of others, and that's something else we could get into. But I think that's more popular amongst uh, baby boomers. Yeah. But I think I think there are elements in young adult that appeal specifically to young adults, uh, millennials, and now centennials is the term I've been heard used for Gen Z. Okay. Who are certainly getting old enough to be their own market force. I want to backtrack just a little bit to uh, to sort of look at uh, Harry Potter, I think is a great sort of uh, example for, for young adult fiction, because I think it's a story that started out with a lot of, uh, a lot of the tropes that I think appear in a lot of young adult fiction that isn't so great, but also it's just really an example of how good writing can become mm-hmm. if you uh, if you give the author a chance to, to sort of develop their work. Because I think the early Harry Potter stories did a kind of subpar job with their world building. J.K. Rowling made a great fantastical world, but she also wanted to place it within the confines of the real world. Mm-hmm. And she didn't really bridge that gap very well in the first few books. Right. And I think by the time she was actually thinking about that, she was a better author, but she was also kind of locked into some of her decisions. Yeah, I can see that. But I think overall, if you go book to book, you start out with um, not uninteresting characters, but, you know, fairly standard archetypes. And uh, the writing and the characters, and the plot development, and the world building, all just, and just like the quality of writing itself, I think improves book to book. Which is going to happen when you're spending years with a series like that. (laughs) Harry, in particular, was sort of the kind of everyman protagonist. He had a unique history, um, but his personality wasn't very... I found it kind of bland, personally. Yeah. I thought he was one of the least interesting characters in the series named after him. <laughs> that's such a... I was just going to say that that seems to me to be a very common thing in series that have lots and lots and lots of characters. The protagonist is often the least standout. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say often. Maybe sometimes. It's a com- it's common, but maybe often isn't like that. Like that implies that it's very, very, very typical. But I mean, I'm gonna you know diverge slightly from like the YA, the YA focus. But in series, which are a big thing in YA, the protagonist is usually um, more relatable to um, the broader audience that's watching or reading or whatever. So yeah, and because they're the ones that have to like you know, guide us through this weird world that we're about to find out about. So, like, an orange is new black, I guess. 
there's really boring white girl is um, the main character, and she's like the most boring <laughs> person there. But like, she's in prison, and prison is crazy, and she's finding out how crazy prison is. So that's that show. And I mean, um, it could rattle off any single anime that there ever was, and um, you know, <laughs> find like you know, boring protagonists, but side characters are really great. And um, the Hunger Games, Katniss is pretty cool, but um, it's like the world around her that's more interesting. You know, it's like yeah. Sometimes, like, your protagonist just has to be a vehicle, basically, which I, I feel bad saying that, because, I mean, your characters have to be fleshed out and human and interesting, and you have to care about them, but they're also kind of a vehicle to, like, get to know, like, the expanse of the story, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think, and I think that is absolutely a point that I was going to actually touch on later, so I'm really happy that you brought it up. I believe that there's kind of two ways I can go with that. And I think one is saying that uh, sort of everyman characters, um, these really uh, kind of broadly relatable, and because they're so broadly relatable, they're comparatively shallow characters, Mm -hmm. are pretty common as the protagonists. And I think that's probably because they're more marketable. Yeah. Just put in the the most straightforward, cynical way. Um, and they're also kind of easier to write if you don't have to, like, put in as much effort to make your character necessarily as nuanced as they could be. Um, and so I think that's something that a lot of YA and just a lot of writing that is you know, popular writing suffers from this. And you see this in, like, films, too, and you see this in other genres and in all types of, uh, all types of media and art. A lot of YA stories that go on to actually be successful do a good job of having a diverse cast. Yeah. So the everyman protagonist is sort of the more marketable person that's on the book covers and they're the name that people know even if they haven't read the story but i think a lot of authors in the genre do a very good job of like well back to harry potter again there's um neville longbottom is not necessarily an everyman or at the very least he's not an everyman sort of protagonisty character He's a very tentative, nervous person, but he gets a much stronger character growth as a result of that. Right. Um, Hermione Granger is a... Um, she's a female character in a largely male cast, and that offers a little bit of expansion. Um, but she also is used in a metaphor that's maybe a little on the nose, but still used fairly well throughout the series. Mm. Um, she is given this met- metaphor for otherness from being mudblood. Yeah. Uh, coming from a non-magical family. I think that was another of the things that uh, J.K. Rowling could have done better, but did fairly admirably and um, definitely improved on in the later books in the series was sort of making this more diverse cast and making these 
characters who were sort of secondary to Harry, who was sort of painted with broader strokes and making them more interesting in contrast to him. Yeah, I mean, um, I agree with that. I think that definitely um, J.K. Rowling did a great, great, great job with all of like the tiny things that, you know, all the moving parts in the series. Um, I mean, the series was, you know, massive, massively long, but it had to be because she had all these, you know, different characters, all these intertwined um, subplots, um, all these different locations and um, conflicts. And I mean, for the most part, it all came together quite well. And I do agree that um, Harry's a really great sounding board for all these different characters to, I guess, become more interesting. I would argue, I mean, I mean, he is a, he is, you know, a bland protagonist, as I think you put it. But I mean, he's still a good protagonist, I think. He, um, he does stuff that we can relate to um, in a very I th I think good emotional appeal. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I just, I was just, like I was saying earlier, I think... Early on, his conflicts are um, are largely external, mm -hmm. and the way he's portrayed is in sort of this very broad sense. Especially after he's uh, broken out of like the clearly abusive familial relationship he has at home. By the time he gets to Hogwarts in the series, he very quickly becomes more generic because he doesn't have. He doesn't have that sort of a thing making him interesting anymore, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Uh, he could be, in the way he acts, if it weren't for sort of the chosen one uh, marker following him around, literally scarred into his forehead, he could be pretty much any other character in this school. So, to take a wildly different turn almost certainly, than what we were just talking about. Um, I do kind of want to talk about the Animorphs series, which I think is a really good another example that's a little bit older than uh, Harry Potter and maybe not quite as, quite as well-known. But I think it's mm -hmm. a really good... I think there were actually some really well-written stories... But there were like right. 50 of them. <laughs> I mean, it was one story, right? Like one story overall, but many, many stories that make up the one story overall, which is exactly what a series is. It was more episodic than uh -huh. I think, uh, than I think like Harry Potter or Twilight or uh, the Hunger Games were. Right. Where there was sort well, of an overarching plot. Yeah. And each story was definitely relevant to that overarching plot. And with Animorphs, it was just kind of like, well, there's lots of stuff going on, and you could you could skip books, or you could come in halfway through, and you could get caught up pretty easily. So it's like, if we're talking TV, then Harry Potter is, you know, something really tight and short like Stranger Things, and Animorphs is something really long and kind of random like Supernatural. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Um, there's still the overarching plot. Um, there's still the big stuff, but you don't need to read every book to get the gist of it. Mm. But one thing I really thought was good about that, and they really, really drove it home, and I think towards the end of the, that series, was the concept of like 
teenagers and uh, kids and young adults because these are stories with young adult protagonists. And so, especially when you get into something that's more more like fantasy or uh, science fiction or these things where there's a large-scale conflict, because like in Animorphs and Hunger Games and Harry Potter all, there's a, there's a war going on, basically, in the background. Hell, even in, in Twilight and uh, lots of other things. Um, pretty much, there's also plenty of overlap between young adult and what I'd probably term dystopia fiction. Mm-hmm. And by consequence of having protagonists who are young people, you end up with this sort of like, child soldiers reality which i think is sort of interesting (laughs) to look at yeah yeah because in harry potter because i keep going back to that because i think it's probably the best known example of a lot of these tropes um as far as specific details but yeah harry potter the first several books, he's just, it seems as though he's just sort of like stumbling into these bigger things. But by the end, it's clearly developed in such a way that adults are constantly manipulating or trying to manipulate him to be a soldier in a war that is older than he is. (laughs) And the Animorphs are an even more dramatic conflict. And I think because, like, there's some major sacrifices. Um, I think characters die in the end of that. I think, like, I guess spoilers for Animorphs, if you haven't read the 50th story of Animorphs yet. But <laughs> I think it, like, ends with these child soldiers who were recruited by an alien to fight a war for humanity ramming their ship into an alien ship to, like save people's lives which is a very dramatic way to go out yep (laughs) yep that is some dark 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 shit for um (laughs) for a a young adult well i say for a young adult series but really a lot of dark stuff happens in young adult series the hunger games the entire premise is dark 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 yeah and i think i'm trying to think i haven't actually read very much of the series at all so i hesitate to use it as an example but like the the death maze or whatever is another one of those that's young adults and sort of this uh dystopic world where there's kids facing life or death consequences and so i think it's very impressive how this genre despite being targeted towards an audience that is maybe a little bit younger is still mm-hmm. willing to explore sort of these more serious themes. I think that the young adult genre, and here's where I'm going to get into why, a few of the reasons why I really, really, really love the young adult genre mm-hmm. and why it remains one of my favorites. I think that young adults, that's the period in your life when you start to really get into or um, at least become extremely conscious of all the heavy things that are out there in the world. Like, you know, you understand the weight of war and, I don't know, rape. Um, Sometimes you are a victim of rape if you're a young adult. There are many, many um, cases of that in high school, at prom, you Mm -hmm. know, out in um, cities and stuff like that. 
um, there's mental um, illness like anxiety and depression. I mean, lots of young adults books tackle stuff like that because lots of young adults deal with stuff like that. And um, now, um, young adult, like the young adult genre, is one of the first genres in popular fiction, which means like the stuff you'd read on the beach, not just like, you know, literary fiction that, you know, goes to awards yeah. or whatever. Like, young adults is one of the first genres in because popular fiction. Because you have to be indoors to read literary fiction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't read it on the beach, I'm sorry. But I mean, young adult fiction is um, one of the first genres in popular fiction, I think, um, where books are selling and are selling well. One of the first genres to tackle political issues that are happening today. That's a trend in young adult literature now, with books like The Hate You Give, which talks about police brutality, or um, Love, Hate, and Other Filters, which talks about Islamophobia. Um, there's lots of young adult books that are interrogating gender and um, sexuality, um, stuff like that. And so I think that really um, the young adult genre is a very fertile ground for um, doing stuff that's a bit riskier that publishers, it's so interesting because like publishing is all about like risk because you're taking a risk by like, you know, getting this person's manuscript and publishing it and hoping it does well. But it's also about safety because you really want it to do well so you make money so you can't be too risky. Like risk, it's like a risk yeah. but not too risky, right? And so, um... Well, that's especially true in a traditional pub in, in e-publishing, which is where really we've seen the growth of a lot of like forgive me for for saying this um granted for repeating this from one of my teachers but 50 shades of gray is one of the most important stories of our generation <laughs> because it shows just like it got its start in ebooks and it sold it outsold everything and I mean, mm. there's a lot of arguments for why it shouldn't have, but it still did. But traditional publishing, which is your uh, your hardcover ink and paper, that's still pretty risky because you have to put up a lot of money up front. So publishers want something that are they're sure will appeal to a lot of people while not being while still having something that will stand out from the crowd. And it, it's a balancing act, just like so many things are, like how art in general is often a balancing act. I think that publishers are waking up to the fact, slowly, slowly but surely, they're waking up to the fact that there is a broader audience beyond um, the straight white male or female. And um, <laughs> they are beginning to cater to that audience, especially because I think the youth are really um, championing the marginalized and are demanding more diverse stories. And so that's why young adult literature and literature in general is slanting in that direction. A very good slant, in my opinion. I really like that. I like that there's so much, you know, diverse YA to pull from. That there are, um, I mean, I just heard about a YA book that came out, like, last week, I think, about, um, you know, a biracial girl who goes to Taiwan. And I was like, ooh, sounds like sounds like something I want to read because, I mean, that's very close to my own experience. Not exactly, like, you know, not exactly my own experience, but very close, much closer than I've seen pretty much ever. So, um, yeah, and it's always very exciting to have that moment. Yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, I was also thinking about uh, Love, Simon, which is, looks like your standard, like, sort of oh. YA coming-of-age story. Dude. 
um, sort of the Fault in Our Stars-esque teen romance. I didn't... Mm -hmm. um, Not that specifically, but, like, generally, you know, young adult teen romance, which is an aspect of the genre we haven't really dipped into. But I think the sign that something like that is now in theaters as of when this episode will be out goes to show how much more willing the genre is to take risks than it has been in the past. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I'm really glad you brought up Love, Simon, because that's actually based on one of my favorite YA books of all time. Not even just my, one of my favorite YA books of all time, but one of my favorite books of all time. Um, you should read it. It's a book called Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertelli. It's a young little <laughs> book. I think it was either longlisted or shortlisted for the National Book Award and, you know, young people's literature. And it's just so good. And, I mean, obviously the book is much better than the movie. Movie's still cool. I do like the book better, and that's just my bias because the book is so important to me personally, just because it made me very, very, very happy when I read it. Um, it was just great. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, young adult literature is really pulling its weight, I think, um, in tackling heavy topics and, you know, representing a broad range of people. And, I mean, I'm just glad that it's around. I mean, there are people that think that young adult literature is lesser because it's for young adults, and that's a, you know, a demographic that's often maligned, that's often called apathetic or um, ignorant or whatever, but I mean, I think, especially with, like, the recent events that have happened in politics, and yes, I guess I'm going to bring up politics today, <laughs> but I mean, the March for Our Lives, that was yesterday, that was yesterday, and completely, completely, um, you know, envisioned and executed by high schoolers who are sick and tired of school shootings as they very well should be because it is truly you know only a problem in the United States a ridiculous problem an entirely avoidable problem to have and um I mean I guess to relate that back to young adult literature young adults aren't apathetic in my opinion I've in general obviously they're young adults of all kinds. Yeah. But um, to categorize all young adults in this way is unfair and to discredit the genre because of some predisposed, you know, wrong notion about what young adults are is just dumb. Well, it's I'm like, going to stop talking now. <laughs> it's like when we talked about literary fiction and how it's something that you need to sort of develop into. Mm-hmm. And people malign things like young adult fiction because it's seen as for kids, but we all got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I think it's a really good jumping off point for a lot of these topics that are maybe explored better or even just differently in other works. That doesn't mean it's not valuable to have young adult fiction out there sort of starting this conversation. And I also... Yeah. Um, you were talking about the politics end of it, and I was reminded of a tweet I saw. I wish I could remember the exact wording, but it was something along the lines of, of course kids are out there marching and protesting and ready to, like, overthrow the government. YA has been preparing us for this for years. <laughs> 
Oh, that's so real. I think the tweet said it better, but you see, like, stuff like The Hunger Games is literally a teenage girl being the face of a revolution. Yeah, and and I just... (laughs) I love that about the genre. I love that, um... I mean, the focus on dystopias is, you know, an entirely different conversation we could have about, like, how we see the future, um, we as a society. But, I mean, the encouragement that is often found in YA of, like, you know, just, you know, not standing for injustice, of, you know, doing the right thing even if it's hard, fighting for what you believe in. I mean, that's that's just good stuff. And maybe it's, you know, stupid optimism. I'd prefer that to being cynical and depressed <laughs> and, you know, lazy. And I don't think, I think optimism gets more done than cynicism. That's all I'm going to say. Sorry. No, yeah. Well, I think that's as good a point as any to start wrapping it up on. Um, was there anything else you wanted to say on this topic or anything we didn't really touch on? Um, I think we covered most of the important stuff for a you know, broad overview of YA. I think we had a great discussion. Yeah, I feel like we didn't get as into the weeds as we usually get this time. <laughs> but also it's like almost midnight here, so you know you win some, you lose some. <laughs> so um, I have been Hayden Pickens. This is Genre Breaker. As always, you can find us on Twitter at the Genre Breaker or on the website genrebreaker.com, which now has episodes on it. You can go there and you can just listen in your browser if you so wish. Of course, still love it if you download them, but that's up to you. Um, Audrey, is there anything you want to sort of uh, advertise or anywhere people can reach you if they want to know more about you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash H-A-Y-L-I-N-4-2 because that's the social media where I'm most active and you can read all about the stuff I do, I guess. What little I, that it is I do, I edit a magazine for my college. And you might see me posting about that at 2 in the morning. Probably something frantic and stressed out. <laughs> Um, yeah, and that magazine is ucavortex.com if you want to check out some of the latest online issues for that. We talked about it last week when Ashley was on. So, yeah, I guess that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Oh, Jesus Christ, I'm still, (laughs) I'm still recording.